this direct and practical instruction for the last few weeks on how we can have a simple and steady faith in the simple and steady walk with the Lord. Many times James has been echoing the words of Jesus himself, especially as you look at the teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And James has taken us a number of different places that are, again, in a very direct way, that are really practical as well, because these are all things that you and I are able to identify with to some degree in our lives. He started off by the fact that God wants to give us the ability to face challenges, trials, and tragedies with a biblical joy. Because as we seek God's wisdom, the Lord can show how he wants to use these things in our lives. The fact that you and I face a spiritual battle within our own hearts. It's a battle between our sin nature and the presence of the Holy Spirit. But God's goodness leads him to give us grace to choose holiness. But then when we do choose sin instead, he offers to us the mercy of forgiveness and restoration. We are to be hearers and doers of God's Word, that when we hear God's Word or we're reading God's Word, we receive it with a humility. We allow it to take root. We allow it to begin to grow up in our hearts so that it begins to to produce the fruit of righteousness in our lives. It doesn't take very long to recognize that we are all unique and different. And sometimes that can produce challenges in any family, including a church family. And so we need to learn how to accept one another for who we are, respect each other as God has created us, and learn how to love each other the way that Jesus loves. By God's grace, our faith in Jesus Christ produces the works of Jesus Christ. And these works do not save us, but they do authenticate our faith because it's the fruit of real saving faith. And then finally, we saw a couple of weeks ago that our words are powerful. And so therefore, they need to be godly, and they need to be wise, they need to be gracious, and we need to show restraint. You know, you can take all these things that James has been talking about, and, and you can summarize it by saying that we are to take God's Word, then receive from Him God's understanding, so that we can live God's way. That we receive the word, we understand the word, and then we live out the word in our daily lives. And that's really what James has been been driving at this whole time. And when you take the idea of being able to have the knowledge, if you will, of God's word and the understanding of what it means and how it applies to our lives, and then the, the, the grace to actually live it out in our lives, the Bible calls that Wisdom. Biblical wisdom is simply the knowledge of the Word of God with understanding and then by God's grace put into practice, lived out in our daily living. And so that's really what James is talking, been talking about. And here we have a really key part of the book of James because he's going to focus in on this idea of wisdom in these verses, the wisdom that you and I need in order to live this life that God has called us to live. And as we come down through the passage, he's going to be asking a really important question. He's going to say, okay, where are you getting your wisdom? All of us live by wisdom. 
just not all of us good. All of us receive information that we process that gives us understanding of what we think life is about or what we should do. And then based on that information and based on that understanding, we make decisions that lead to actions. And again, that's the definition of wisdom. It's information with understanding put into practice. And so James is going to ask us the question, where are you getting your information? Where are you getting that understanding that leads to the decisions and the actions of your life? He's going to point out that there's two sources of wisdom. There's God, and then there's this combination of our sin nature, the world, and Satan. And that all the information you receive and all the understanding that you gain is, one of, is coming from one of those two sources, ultimately. So there's godly wisdom, and then there's ungodly wisdom. God is the source, and ungodly sources. And so James is going to say, where are you getting yours? It's true for us as followers of Jesus, he's going to point out, because we have that choice to make every day. Do we get our information and understanding that leads to decisions and actions from God and his word? Or are we getting it from one of these other sources? So there's a question. He's going to give us a warning, too, that as believers, we've got to be careful because we can deceive ourselves into believing that we're living by God's wisdom when, in fact, we're not. And so he's going to give us a warning. Don't, be, don't deceive yourself. And then he's going to give us a promise. He's going to say, here's, here's what God will do in your life if you live according to godly wisdom. So there's a question there's a warning, and then there's going to be a promise. And so the first thing he wants us to understand is the fact that your life will reveal which wisdom you're living by. Your life will reveal which wisdom, godly or ungodly, that you're living by. Look at verse 13 again, and he says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. James says, you know, wisdom is revealed by actions more than words. They're revealed by actions more than just your words. There are people in these churches that James is writing to that are claiming to be living and teaching God's wisdom, including the ones that we saw a couple of weeks ago that are aspiring to this position of leadership and teaching in the church. And they're saying, yeah, we're speak for God. We are, we are sharing God and his wisdom. In reality, James is going to point out, some of the people in the churches indeed are living by God's wisdom, but there are a number of people who are living by ungodly wisdom. And the, way we ch- and the ones that are choosing to live with ungodly wisdom are the ones that are creating all these problems and situations and tensions that he's been dealing with in the letter. He says, are you saying that you are wise? Show it, he says. That means put it on display. Put it on display. Put it up on the screen. And he's talking about our lives, our behavior, what we are doing, as well as what we're saying. He's saying, first of all, you say you're wise. That word is a general word that you could say, does your life show a pattern of godly wisdom? So if you look at your life in general, is there a pattern that you generally live 
take God's word with understanding and put it into practice. Then he says, also by deeds refers to specific actions, or understanding rather, I'm sorry, is about specifics. So he's saying, give me specific examples as well. You claim to be living by godly wisdom, then show it through a pattern of godly behavior. You claim to be living with godly wisdom, well, give me an example, specific moments, specific decisions and times that you displayed God's word being lived out with understanding. He says godly wisdom is going to reveal itself in your life. He says that if there's godly wisdom, it'll be revealed by your good life. Again, that's a word that talks about a pattern of godly decisions and behavior. He says, you will show it in deeds, those specific actions. But he says, also, they will be defined by a spirit of humility. They'll be defined by a spirit of humility. Humility there is a word that means tenderness and graciousness and meekness. It's someone who's willing to put themselves under the sovereign control of God, but who is also willing to put others and their needs before themselves. It is somebody who is not assertive. It's not looking out for their own agendas, not looking out for their own advantages, but they use the resources and opportunities that God has given them in their lives to serve the Lord and to serve other people. And it's a vital characteristic of godly wisdom. Jesus used this word, translated um, humility here, to describe himself in Matthew eleven twenty nine, where he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so Jesus takes this word humility and, he, and it describes himself. Paul tells us in Galatians 5 that humility is one of the fruit of the Spirit. And so he says, wisdom is revealed through your actions, not just your words, and godly wisdom is actually revealing itself as you look at your life. And if godly wisdom is present, you will be, having, you will be leading a good life with deeds that are defined by humility. And now he moves on to talk about, let's look at ungodly wisdom. What does ungodly wisdom look like? And he gives us a description in verse 14 of ungodly wisdom. He says, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Bitter envy is a self-serving attitude that puts people into two categories. People are either helping you get what you want or they're in the way of you getting what you want. And so you treat them accordingly. It carries the idea that out of the selfish ambitions and these desires and your desire to achieve them, you tend to treat people in a way that can be sharp and harsh. Words that are cutting Words that can become destructive to others. And so you're either using people or you're abusing people. He says another characteristic of ungodly wisdom is selfish ambition. It's one of the things that comes out of bitter envy. 
And this is primarily the idea of being contentious and argumentative. Because <laughs> you're determined to get what you want. And so you'll strive after it forcefully. And if you have to run people over to get to where you want, you will run them over. So this idea of being assertive, being motivated by this desire of personal gain, it's interesting because it was used in this time in the first century to describe politicians seeking high office. And so it's this idea that, you know what, I'll say anything and do anything to win an election because I have this ambition. And if you're in my way, I will run you over. So you're either helping me or you're in my way. But either way, I'm using you or I'm abusing you. And so James says, hey, listen, if this is what your life is about, if this is what's being displayed in your life, he goes on the end of verse 14, he says, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Boasting is a strong word that is describing self-promotion. It's the idea that you're making claims about yourself with the goal of elevating your status with others. Displays pride and self-focus. And he says, don't boast that you're being wise because you're denying the truth. And the truth is this, you're deceiving yourself. You're deceiving yourself. Because despite your claims to godly wisdom, if you are showing this kind of wisdom, your life reveals something else entirely. And so, you're in self-denial. If you think you're living by godly wisdom, when in fact you're living by ungodly wisdom. The source of this ungodly wisdom is in verse 15. He says, Such wisdom does not come down from heaven but it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Earthly means that it's a wisdom that comes from this world and culture. It's coming from this world's values and agendas. It's limited and restricted to man's experience and to man's understanding. It's restricted to what can take place in space and time in this material world. It doesn't always deny God, but if you take this earthly wisdom to its, to its final conclusion, it's a closed system of time, space, and material world that excludes God. It encourages things like selfishness and pride and assertiveness. It's the wisdom that says, you know what, you can have life your way. Look out for yourself. First of all, do what's right for you and be true to self. You can decide what's right and wrong. Nobody has a a right to put that on you and so on and so forth. All of that is earthly wisdom. Unspiritual comes from the idea it comes out of our own sin nature. Sometimes we don't need any help from the world around us. The ungodly wisdom just rises up within our own sin nature our own desires, and our own motivations that are not under God's control. Because when we look at uh, the things that motivate us and the desires we have and the agendas and the things we want to accomplish, if we're not careful, we forget that all of that's been tarnished by sin. 
And so sometimes the ungodly wisdom comes right up from within ourselves. But ultimately, it's demonic. Ultimately, it's demonic. Because Satan is the ultimate source of ungodly wisdom, whether it's coming from the world or whether it's coming up from within ourselves. Because ever since Genesis chapter 3, Satan has always tried to deceive us into believing his lies instead of embracing God's truth. And the results of this ungodly wisdom in verse 16 He says, there you will find disorder in every evil practice. Disorder means there's a sense of instability and confusion and animosity between people. When this is happening, then there's evil practice. That means things that are worthless and contemptible. And it's important to note here James is talking to Christians. James is addressing the church. He's not talking about the unsaved, and he's not talking about government and culture around us. Obviously, if you look at the world around us, which will reject God and will not live by his truth, you see the traits of ungodly wisdom. But that's not James's point here. He's saying these things are in the church too. And that's what he's concerned about. And that's what God's concerned about. I can remember a number of years ago when a lot of the things that have changed in the last 10 years were beginning to happen. I met with a group of men every week and we've been doing Bible study for years together. And all of a sudden, I noticed that every, we started going through the book of Proverbs. And every time we would hit something, you would say, yep, that's why the world's the way it is. Yep, that's why the world's the way it is. And I thought, God didn't write the book of Proverbs for the world. God wrote the book of Proverbs for his people. And over and over again, I would try, hey, let's not worry about the world. What, what does this say to us? as his followers. Church has been struggling with that, and I understand where that struggle comes from. But James is saying God's focus is godly wisdom amongst his people. And so it's important. These verses are about us. It's a, it's a question and a warning to us. Is there, are we living by ungodly wisdom at times in our lives? Now he moves on to godly wisdom. We begin, he gives us a, this wonderful description of godly wisdom in verse 17. He says, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial, and sincere. Wow, those are some great traits. Those are some great, great character qualities that spring out of godly wisdom. He says that it's pure. That means it's not contaminated. These, this is being single-minded and pursuing God and not double-minded by trying to mix godly and ungodly together. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, put it this way. He said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. 
It's peace-loving. It's always looking to help develop healthy relationships between them and God, between them and other people, and between other people and God. That's what a peacemaker does. Promotes healthy relationships between themselves and the Lord, between themselves and other people, and between other people and their relationship with the Lord. And trying to foster and do things that develop these healthy relationships. It's people that are looked to resolve conflict, not add to it. It's people that are willing to be humble and seek and serve others rather than asserting self. And there are, these are people that say, I will model my life after Jesus because Jesus is the ultimate peacemaker. He goes on in the description and he says they're considerate. This word could be translated they're humble. You could also translate it with the word meek. It means to be gentle and courteous and considerate. Gentle, considerate, and courteous. It's being able to be patient when you've been wronged or offended. And Jesus said, in this, again in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. That's my, one of my favorite ones because I could just hear them say, What in human history demonstrates that meekness inherits the earth? In Jesus' kingdom, it will. It's submissive. It's reasonable. You could translate this word reasonable. They're reasonable and not argumentative. They're willing to yield to others back to the, if it's appropriate, to promoting peace. It's full of mercy, forgiving when wronged, and compassionate towards others who are in need or pain. My whole perspective of compassion changed when I had a message that I was listening to fairly early on in my ministry that talked about the fact that you know true compassion is when you don't care why, you just have compassion for what. In other words, you don't argue or try to figure out why that person's in the situation they're in or why they're in pain or whether they cause it themselves or not. Your first response is compassion for the situation they find themselves in. And so we're full of mercy. And there's good fruit. There's authentic, godly works that are evident in our lives. Jesus said it this way, again, in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That's good fruit. It's it's impartial. That means we're consistent and unwavering in the way we treat other people. We're consistent and unwavering in the way we treat other people. We don't, we don't model uh, our treatment of people by whether they're up or down in their treatment of us. We're consistent. And we also don't show favoritism. 
but we treat all people the same. And finally, it's sincere. It's without hypocrisy. This is not about projecting some image. In fact, that's what they're doing. There, there are those trying to project an image of being godly when their lives say something totally different. Now, this is, there's an authenticity about this person's spiritual life. It's coming from the heart. And it's good to know that the source of this godly wisdom is not ourselves, but it's God. In verse 17, at the beginning of the verse, he said, the wisdom comes where? From heaven. God gives this to us. God produces this in us. It's not a list of things that we try to do on our own, but this is understanding that it's all about God. It is God's word received with God's understanding that we ask for God's grace so that we can live God's way. (laughs) It's all about God. It's his word. It's his understanding. It's his grace. It's his way. And so this is something that God produces within us, not something that we try to do on our own. I had a lesson in this when I was going to Bible college. And when I was, I went to Bible college, Denise and I had been saved all of nine months. That's a whole other experience. But we got there. So we were new Christians as we started this process. And there was a guy in my class, his name was Paul. Now, Paul was probably one of the most prideful, arrogant, and aggravating people I've ever had the pleasure of knowing. I was looking for the word. He really, really had issues. And so after three years of him having this arrogance and this argumentativeness, he argued with... We would lose five minutes in a class with him arguing with a professor about something. And after three years, two buddies and I, we were done with Paul. And so we went to a Bible college professor that we really loved and respected... His name is um, Dr. Gibson. Dr. Gibson was a totally cool guy. He was a Marine and a Division I football player, as well as a pastor. So this guy had a little different, little different take on things than your average pastor like this. I mean, you know, he was, he was a big guy. He was, he was fit, and he just had this way about him, but he was gracious. And we went to him. We said, Dr. Gibson, um, what are we going to do with Paul? We, we're angry at him. And we are developing a resentment. And so what are we going to do? And he said, gentlemen, Jesus has already given you an answer. After letting us know that he understood that, yes, Paul was indeed prideful, arrogant, and really difficult to work to deal with, he took us to Luke and he said, here's what Jesus says to you. He said, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies Do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who mistreat you. And so he said, guys, what you need to do is every morning, especially days you are in class with Paul, you you pray for Paul to experience God's best in his life. And that God will give you the ability to love Paul like Jesus loves you. We looked at each other. We looked at Dr. Gibson with a look that basically says, you've got to be kidding me. (laughs) 
That is not what we wanted to do with Paul. (laughs) But we did it. We did it. We held each other accountable. Did you pray for Paul today? Now, I'd love to be able to tell you that as a result of this, Paul had this spiritual epiphany that transformed his life. Now, when we graduated later that year, Paul was still prideful, arrogant, and difficult to get along with. But we changed. We changed. And I didn't know it at the time, but what God did was he grew some of this spiritual fruit in our lives. Because the two things that really began to grow in me was humility and mercy. Because I began to treat Paul with a gentleness and a consideration that I hadn't done for a long time. I began to be more patient with him in those times that he really aggravated me and agitated me. And I began to feel real compassion for him. Because you could already see the seeds in his life that would lead to the complete destruction of his life and family about five years later. God didn't change Paul, but God grew me. But it was praying his word and saying, God, this is what you've said. I can't do this, and so, Lord, would you do this? And in the process of that, God grew spiritual fruit in my life. That's what James is talking about. The Lord growing this fruit because he's the source of it all. The truth, the understanding, and the grace to be able to live God's way. And I was, you have a sense of joy now. Where there had been aggravation, I had joy of the work that God had done in my life. And he ends this passage with a promise that gives us the results of this godly wisdom. In fact, that's exactly what we experienced in the story that I just told you. In verse 18, he says, We become peacemakers who sow in peace, reaping a harvest of righteousness. We sow the fruit of verse 17. We sow these things in our lives, in the lives of others, in our situations, at work, with our family. We sow these seeds that he's talking about. And then the fact that we sow them means we don't get immediate results. But like a farmer, you let the seed take root and grow in its time and trust that God will bring a fruit out of it. And if he doesn't change the people and situations of our lives, he'll change us. Praise God. And in doing this, we harvest God's righteousness. We harvest his righteousness. We become more like Jesus so that we season our lives and relationships and situations with his love and his character. And God begins to use us more and more fully to accomplish his will and to impact people together in the church, in our families, in this community, and in this world. Sowing the fruit, the seeds of God's righteousness. 
And so James says, take a look at your life. And what are you displaying? Where are you getting your wisdom? Does your life display godly wisdom or is it displaying more ungodly wisdom or some mix of something in between? Look for the patterns and look at specific moments. And as followers of Jesus, allow the Lord to sow these seeds of godly wisdom in our lives so they are they take fruit in this church and they take fruit in this community and they will take fruit in the world around us. And remembering the wisdom comes from God, not ourselves. That means we've got to desire it first. That was one of the moments I wish I could have seen the face of the three of us guys when Dr. Gibson gave us that because in that moment I didn't desire that. I didn't desire God's best in Paul's life. I didn't want to love him. So I had to have a change of heart that said, Lord, yes, I will surrender to what you say you want. The writer of Proverbs puts it this way. He says, we learn to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and lean not on our own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and shun evil. Got to desire it. Then you ask for it. Like James said back in chapter 1, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So God reveals something to you in his word, and you say, God, I don't feel it, but I want it. (laughs) Would you give this to me? And then we commit to doing what God says As Jesus closed the Sermon on the Mount, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Desire it, ask for it, and then do it with God's grace behind you. Ultimately, It brings us back to this simple, simple, simple equation. The Christian life is so simple, just impossible without the grace of God. But it's so simple. Know God's word. Understand God's word. And by the grace of God, live God's word. And that equals wisdom. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do come to you as a needy people, especially when it comes to what James is talking about here with wisdom. Father, would you show us in our lives through your words, even as you talked about your word as a mirror, these places in our lives where we need to exercise godly wisdom. We need to have your perspective. We need to have your understanding. And we need to have that desire and commitment to do it with the humility to ask you for the grace for it. Would you do that in our lives? We all have different places in our lives. We all have different things in our lives that you want to grow us in. Would we be open to what you desire to do? That our lives might sow the seeds of godliness and godly wisdom. And our lives in this church would then reap a harvest of your righteousness. 
within our midst and in the world around us. And we give you this in Jesus' name. Amen.